Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of the UXR podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Joe, who's the CEO of Maze. Maze makes rapid testing tools that can integrate into your design process. We're going to be talking about where Maze came from, uh, why they started, and a little bit about the changes that we've been seeing in the research industry. Hope you enjoyed this episode, and I will see you on the other side. Okay, hello everyone. Uh, welcome back to another episode of the UXR podcast. Today, I'm uh, really happy to be joined by my new friend Joe. How's it going, Joe? Hey, Alec. Great to be here. Uh, very excited to, to to speak to you today. So, Joe is the uh, co-founder and CEO of Maze, um, and Maze is a rapid testing tool. Uh, we got to know them a little bit at UXR Conf, um, so really excited to have him here. We're going to talk a bit uh, a bit about a bunch of different things. So. The beginnings of Maze, we're going to talk about what changes we're seeing in the research space. Now's a really exciting time to be building research tools. Um, there's just so much more opportunity than there is before. And part of that's because there's more researchers, but we're also having so many great conversations about what it means to do research. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about today. So Joe, to kick us off, why don't you tell us a bit about the beginnings of Maze? Where did this come from? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the beginning of Maze as well is a very interesting story, I feel. Um, May started in the previous startup that we launched with my co-founder. So it has nothing to do with what we are doing today. Uh, it, we were building a messaging app for gamers. So if you've heard of Discord, we are basically building Discord, but three months is prior to them. Um, and the reality was that we were backed by Fnatic, which was the biggest and largest programming team in the world. And what's interesting is that because of that backing, we had thousands of people in a waiting list eager to try out what we were building. But at the time, we didn't have anything. We only had these very in-depth Envision prototype of what we wanted to create. And we thought, how do we get this prototype in front of these thousands of people and get insights in which feature we need to build? Is our design working? Are the flows working? Before we actually go into developing the features. And so when we looked for solutions to do that, we found a lot of uh, video recording solutions that uh, turned a process that was long and expensive, which is running a thousand face-to-face -face interview, into the same process but online, right? And so at the time, we hacked our way into downloading the Envision website, putting analytics on top of everything with this idea that if we were able to get data at scale and understand the data at scale, then we would be able to actually uh, make decisions without having to go develop the product. We sent the link out to 5,000 testers. Uh, and in two hours, we got 2,500 responses, right? which was wow. completely mind-blowing. I, just like you, come from the research world before. I was a lead designer and researcher in different agencies in Paris. And so coming from a world where getting five testers in three weeks was basically opening champagne and now <laughs> 5,000 data points was incredible. But what was more incredible was on top of being able to see where our product was broken, we are now able to identify um, and iterate on our product before going to development. So the iteration loop didn't include the development loop. And that was incredible. And so uh, a year from where, where we started this uh, gaming app, we, we stopped and we started building Maze. And that was three years ago today. Wow. There you go. Um, yeah. I think, I think it's, it's funny to hear that um, 
a lot of times when you're um, when you're on Twitter, or you're just reading the news, and you hear about some company that that's grown or raised some money and whatnot. Um, you know, it feels very much like it's an overnight flip a switch kind of thing. But most of this stuff has been in the works for a very very long time. Um, so congrats on making it this far. I think maybe a place that we can start is let's talk about this idea of the. Uh, uh, what you call the iteration loop, right? And and how that happens and where that happens. So I can say from my experience, um, you know, typically where research, at least year, a few years ago, used to fit in was we would have product managers or, or product people decide, here's what we're going to make. And then designers would figure out how it's going to work. And then it would just, engineers would, would actually build it. And then you'd go and launch it. And then a researcher would go and figure out like why people aren't using it uh, or, or, or what, what's, what's not working with it. Um, and it was uh, always like a, felt like a big win for me when I was able to convince product people to kind of at the very beginning, let's, let's start by uh, understanding how spot on our idea is and, and <laughs> starting and kind of shortening that loop. So it was almost like there's this very uh, early loop around you know, gut checking an idea around that kind of generative research. Are we in the right space? Do we actually understand the thing that we're working on? It seems like with Maze, you know, there's another loop that now exists between that kind of generative research loop and that end evaluative research loop that's new. Um, Can you talk a bit about like what that actually looks like? Absolutely. It's, we built Maze on the premise that you were just describing, which is that when you think about it, um, the way we build hasn't really changed in the past 20 years. We went from a waterfall project, which were exactly what you described, but over a six month span. Uh, someone had an ID, designers designed that ID, developers built the ID, and then we learned, right? We released that we learned. Um, in, in an agile setting, you'll do the same thing, but over a month, right? So we, we changed the size of the derivative, but we didn't really change uh, the way that we built. And so I think that what we're seeing with Maze is, is we're trying almost to build the, the CI for the product and marketing team. Basically, allowing every point of decision being, are we building the right feature? Uh, is this the right design? Is this the right copy? Is the right problem that we're trying to solve? All of these, um, they happen and they are questions that are being raised by multiple personas within the building process. And we want them to be able to ask the questions, get the answers, uh, and do that themselves, basically, to, to almost a, a self-serve research in every part of the organization. Yeah. It's funny, too. Like I'm just thinking about you know, the past few months when we've been working on learners, um, how just uh, labeling something poorly yeah. has caused a lot of, uh, has caused some anxiety and strife among, you know, at least a small group of users who yeah. messaged us. It was unclear around like, uh, I can't even remember what it was. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, on, upon uh, upon reflection, you're like, yeah, that's that's definitely probably not the right words to be using uh, exactly. at that moment. So, you know, we, we make a copy change and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the question then, you know, that I'm asking is how many people experienced this and then didn't tell us, exactly. right? And we're, we're annoyed or we lost trust with them uh, or and whatnot. So the, the, the downside uh, of not doing this kind of research is almost unknowable or, or of making the wrong decisions. It's almost unknowable and it's silent. So it's kind of insidious in that way too. Exactly. And I think there's two key metrics that, that we can refer to on that front. There's one metric that's about the cost of, of uh, 
developing the wrong experience, building the wrong experience, building the wrong design or the wrong copy. And uh, the IEEE found out that it's basically 100 times more expensive to identify a mistake post-development than it is pre-development. And that just doesn't include the cost of development. It includes the, co the cost of lost business from building the wrong thing or for exposing your users to the wrong thing. The brand damage that comes with it, the cost of support that raises as well while building the wrong thing. So all of these prices and these costs, they add up uh, and they could be solved prior to going into development. And the second cost is, is the fact that 50% uh, of the of a dev's time is spent on rework, right? Which is a crazy number of hours, right? Like it's a, it's, it seems almost imaginable that companies work on, on so inefficient system that 50% of one of their most uh, valuable resources are just reworking stuff, right? It seems, it seems almost crazy. Yeah, that's super bizarre. Um, <laughs> well, I think one of the other things that, that is kind of relevant here too is just the change in attitudes around research um, over mm -hmm. the last few years. I remember um, starting out in my research career talking to people who were like fairly seasoned product managers and designers. And, yeah. you know, it was a, it was a, an, not an argument, but there was a lack of consensus around mm -hmm. whether or not research was required. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. The amount of times you would hear, I already know my users, I know what they want. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was, it was most conversations. And I, I think if I think back uh, almost 10 years to, to that yeah. time, I'm pretty sure that was, I'm pretty sure I heard that more often than I heard the opposite of that. Let's say, yeah. Yeah. Um, I know what my users want, right? This is what we're making. This is the right thing to make. End yeah. of discussion. And so, yeah. you know, kind of leaves you in an odd position. This is not, I don't think that's the consensus anymore. And I think that more and more you're seeing a desire to participate and be a part of that learning process. Um, yeah. exactly. Is that kind of what you're seeing with, with, you know, the analytics and, and the feedback you're getting with Maze? Yeah, that that's a very interesting part. I mean, I, I worked agencies before, so my job was basically getting no's from customers when we were trying to sell research, right? Um, because the, the the extent of which we were talking about it was, it you know, it's going to cost anywhere between 10 and 30K to run the research, which was basically the cost of what they were running to design and to develop. And so for them, it was almost an obvious choice that let's, let's design and build instead, right? So it was always one of the hardest sell. Um, and so what we've seen happen in product teams is a shift, I think, of mentality, as you described, right? Which is um, the, a mentality of, I know my users, to a mentality of, we want to run more testing and more research. What, I, what we like to joke about is, is that research today is still kind of the gym of the product team, right? It's the thing that they sell, they'll pick up on Jan 1st and January 3rd when <laughs> everyone has talked. Um, and, and I understand it's, it, it can be a hard muscle to build, right? And what we've seen happen is that because these teams rely heavily on the research organization, but the research organization hasn't grown massively in the past 10 years inside, inside companies, it's very hard for researchers to be able to provide all the learning that's necessary for them to be able to build right thing. Because the reality is that you have a ratio of, you know, one to five to 50 from researchers to designers to developers. And that's, and that doesn't scale linearly with an organization. And so what that translates to is, uh, you have, 50 times to 500 times the means to create as you have the means to learn with new organization. And so we've seen multiple strategies being adopted. We've seen companies that started investing a bit more into research, but they are the outliers. And we've seen companies in which an opposite strategy has been adopted. And it's been the case, for example, we work with um, Bezat Sergeni, who was the head of research at Slack and Facebook. And his strategy there was 
let's teach everyone to research, right? And so his role, he, he was not even running research. His role was just teaching anyone that create, as they call them, customer-facing experiences. So designers, product managers, product marketers, even CS and sales, right? Anyone that sees clients or creates things for clients or users, um, they should be able to test and they should be able to ask questions. And I think that's really the premise on which we build Maze. It's, it's the premise that, A, we need to rethink how we build, and B, we also need to involve the whole product team into, into the research. And an analogy that we use a lot is the Figma analogy. Um, Figma was successful not because it made everyone a designer, but because it allowed design to happen everywhere. All of a sudden, stakeholders talk about design. All of a sudden, every department talks about design. The same shift needs to happen for researchers, right, and research. The goal is not to replace the job of researchers. The goal is just to make research a muscle that's not a muscle for the research organization, but a muscle for the whole team and the whole company. What do you think are some of the things that are kind of holding us back from getting there? I, I, I totally see what you're saying with, with Figma. And it's, uh, it's funny. Um, one of the things that, you know, obviously we're focused a lot about, you know, education and learning. Yeah. Um, the, the lack of uh, uh, design courses and programs teaching like Figma, like Figma is it now, right? Like we moving forward, design will happen in this kind of collaborative fashion period, (laughs) kind of end of story (laughs) until something new comes along. Right. And it's just like, where is this being taught? It's not being taught. Um, What do you think are the things that are kind of blocking right now or, or the, the things that have the bridges that have yet to be, to be built or the blockers that are currently in the way from research kind of getting to that stage? Yeah, I think there's multiple things. I think there's a mental load already around research. I think that for a lot of companies, you know, they think about research, they think about eye-tracking software and lab within the organization. And so all of this needs to be broken down into anyone can run research and research is, is not scary, right? I think that we've spent so much time building up the the research and trying to get credibility that the downside of this is that we created a, a very fearful of environment for others to be able to run research, right? So we, we need to break these walls. And then I think it was also about um, the tooling and the way that you could consume, right? Because the reality is the, the qualitative aspect of research hasn't really changed, but the aspect of data was was very limited. I mean, uh, when Maze arrived, we, we were able to grow from being no one to exist now in a bit more than 40,000 companies just because we are now able to provide uh, research to everyone. And for us, everyone means multiple things, right? When we look at how you democratize research, it means making it available in companies of all size, right? So existing in the smallest startup to IBM, SAP, and the likes. It's everything existing in every industry, right? So any it, it, research is not meant for just B2B SaaS startup, right? It needs to happen everywhere. And so for Maze, for example, we exist in companies like uh, Walmart and Porsche, and, and, you know, and that's where we're seeing the, the products rise. And then ultimately, it means every, every existing for everyone. So existing for product managers, for product marketers, for designers. So that, those are the barriers that we're trying to, to break. It's that it, you, you're never too small to start research. You're not, there's not an industry specific that can run research. And there's not a role specific that can run research. Anyone, everywhere can run research. Uh, that's basically one on the, the premise on which we build. Yeah, I... I... I buy that. I mean, the the fun, the thing that I I kind of drives me a little bit nuts in mm-hmm. in the current discussion around. I mean, what we're talking about right now is democratization of research. Basically, yeah. it's yeah. The, that's the 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 name it's been given. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing that really drives me nuts around the conversation, and I probably have already said this on two other podcast episodes, <laughs> but the, 
there is no the, the, we're we're as the research community we are inventing for ourselves a false choice, right? Yeah. That we we are walking into this conversation saying we have the option of allowing people to do research uh, or denying them the ability to do research, right? Yeah. But yeah. that second option is it doesn't exist. There's no way you can stop people from learning things. <laughs> exactly. uh, curious people will go and talk to users wow. if, they, if they see fit, if they think that's the right thing for them to do. Now, whether or not they have the appropriate guidance, mm-hmm. whether or not they have the appropriate tools, okay. techniques, uh, the appropriate... Uh, uh, um, <laughs> Uh, consent forms, if you will, like all the all the things that come along the way. That that is a whole separate conversation. But the fact is, is that people who want to do research are going to do research, whether you want them to or not. And so I think, you know, exactly like what you're saying. It's it's not. Uh, I think we need to move beyond that kind of a dichotomy and move to something different, which is, to what extent are we interested in supporting people doing research? And it's okay if we say like I don't want to do it at all. Right. Um, That's a choice that people can make. And maybe in some organizations, that's fine. Um, But I think for most, the the better thing is to, as Bezod likes to say, uh, bring rigor to people's curiosity uh, Mm -hmm. is is a good approach. And I, I, you know, I think with more tooling, whether it's what you're doing or or other folks, you have the ability to kind of enforce uh, some level of rigor, some level of quality by saying, you know, you cannot start a project until a consent form is signed, for example, mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. you know, here's the time that this can be done, but not before that or something like that. Exactly. And, and, and I mean, it comes, so I really like the, the dichotomy that you use as well. I mean, we see that all the time, right? And I think it, it comes from a misguided place, I would say. It, it, it's a bit reminiscent of, you know, remember the early days of a WordPress or a Webflow and developers kind of pushing back, like not everyone should be able to develop, not everyone should be able to build, right? It, it seems almost almost similar to that, right? Like it's it's not going to replace your job, right? It's it's just another approach to the job itself, like everyone should be able to do it. And then um, as you, uh, to your point on the rigor, uh, I think it comes with a lot of education. I mean, what you're doing as well is, is a big part of that, right? Being able to uh, educate anyone to, to render and research. On our end, what we've invested heavily in, in uh, both external uh, content. So we produce a lot of content, guides, customer stories. So it's kind of a de-risking research and giving the right ammunition to, to people so that they can go and actually uh, you know, make the change happen within the organization. And then it's also building uh, internal, internal to the tools the right guidelines so that they can create the right thing. So templates, everything so that they, they always exist within a, let's say, a, a, a framed uh, approach to research. So it's never uh, just a, a random research that they can run. Yeah, I, I, I mean, that's, that's smart. That's probably the way it should be. <laughs> um, what, <laughs> what are some of the other things that you've noticed changing over the last couple of years um, Within, within research that, that's either got you worried or excited? Yeah, I think, I think looking at research right now versus 10 years ago is very exciting anyways, right? I think that the, the place that, uh, I think there's been a first shift for the past 10 years, right? Which was design was eating the world. And I think that the next shift that's going to happen is about the learning organization. Right? The te- theme that Bezard explores a lot and that we discuss a lot is how do you build an organization that learns, right? And it, this means processes that need to be implemented that, the whole organization level. Um, so I think this is probably one of the best time to be a researcher, right? Because the voice is finally heard. Uh, people embrace the idea that they need to, to be uh, research-led, user-led. And I think that that's going to be the biggest shift that we'll see is that 
um, right now, most products uh, have some touch point with the user. I think that the next 10 years, we'll see that users are now a key part of building product, right? Basically, uh, almost user-led product. We can imagine a world in which every company almost has uh, a, a, a virtual room of users. They can tap into intelligence to, to build the next product. I think that that's what I'm seeing for research right now. Yeah, that's that's a that's a really interesting idea, and I think it's it's almost twofold too, right? You know, like we talked earlier about the amount of rework that gets done, right? Yeah. And it's kind of like um, taking strictly that lens, you can kind of look at things as like you have a zero or a one, a good thing yeah. or a bad thing, right? And so you want to have on average a lot more ones than zeros. But I, I, I even think it, it's even more significant than that because it's not zero one. It's like zero or one or 10 or 100 exactly. in the sense that, you know, getting the uh, prioritizing the things you build appropriately um, or in the right way can have a huge difference or the or at least the order in which you build things can mm-hmm. uh, can lead to dramatically different business results, whether that's, you know, in users or, or customers or in, you know, the amount of an activity you want to encourage people to do, whatever it is. Um, and that's often a missed part of why research is important too. It's, you know, you can take this direction and build a feature and have this kind of return, or you can have 10 times the return because you put things in the right order and you built the, the first thing first and the second thing second too. Exactly. Um, yeah, it, it's all it's all kind of connected there. Yeah, 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 exactly. I think discovery, exploration, like all of these things. And, and there's also a point about, uh, I think, the accountability that will exist within the, 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 the building process. I think right now we're still living in a very act of faith type of uh, building process. Product managers have ideas that they will validate with some existing data that they have on, on, on the, the database. And then they'll pass this on to designers that will produce a design that's also going to be mostly act of faith until it's passed on to the developers. And then, you know, all this act of faith has built up to something that's going to be seen by users and then we'll see, right? Um, I think it's it's almost as if um, we can remove a lot of the friction and the frustration that exists in the workplace just by making sure that every deliverable being an ID, a design, uh, anything that a copy, whatever happens during the building process is tested and validated. And I think that's why the analogy of CI makes so much sense is that we're just trying to mimic a process that already exists, right? Developers wouldn't push code that's not working. That that doesn't exist in the real world. Right? They should be able to test and they should be able to make sure that things are working before they push to production. But it's the only part of the process that we have system systemized as a way to, to, to validate, right? So we need to apply the same thinking to the rest of the chain. Very cool. Well, it's going to be really exciting to see how this uh, evolves over the next few years. Um, yeah. Yeah. Joe, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was excellent. I'm very excited to speak to you today. Cool. All right. See you next time. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the UXR podcast. Don't forget that we have all the great talks from UXR Conf 2021 available to watch for free at joinlearners.com. Learners is a great place to learn more about research. There's tons of great talks there and a lot more new stuff coming down the funnel in the next few weeks. So uh, if you haven't already, head over to joinlearners.com, sign up and get started growing and getting better at research.